I am really excited to be with you, here with you guys today. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Caleb Duvick. Um, I used to go here until I went away for a little while, but then I was back for a very long time, it seems like. But um, just really glad to be here with you today. And, you know, today we are starting the new year. Well, I guess technically a week ago we started the new year. But anyway, we're looking at 2011 in the rearview mirror, and we've got all of 2012 ahead of us, right? Which is awesome. I'm looking forward to that. And a lot of you are too, because um, you've got some stuff that you want to work on. We all do these things called resolutions, don't we? And by this time, seven days later, most of you have failed already, right? And those of you that think you haven't, you have. It's okay. We all fail. But the reason that we make these resolutions a lot of times, like I want to eat better, I want to exercise more, I want to do this, I want to do that, is because we look at the last year and we see things that we don't really like, okay? We see things that didn't go so well for us. And for a lot of people in this church, 2011 was filled with a lot of hardships. It was filled with a lot of struggles. It was filled with a lot of brokenness. And so we're doing everything that we can to try to fix that because we don't like that. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we overcome this brokenness, this struggle, this hardship, this weakness that we face? And how can we instead experience greater joy in our lives? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. And since it's the beginning of the year, I think it's fitting that we should open up to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, all right? So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 2 and 3. And we're going to be looking at a couple named Adam and Eve. Little known fact, their last name was Smith. Um, so we're going to be looking at the Smiths today because they experienced a lot of what we experienced over this past year. They experienced brokenness. They experienced struggles with weakness, and everything else. So, we're going to be starting in chapter 2, verses 4, and I'm going to skip around a little bit, not because things aren't important, but just for time's sake, I don't want to keep you here till 5. So, we're going to skip around a little bit, starting in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds and to the heavens, bird of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon man, and while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so we see this couple, Adam and Eve, and they're in this beautiful, perfect place that God created. And they are beautiful and perfect themselves. And they have everything that, could, they, that they could ever want in this garden that God has placed them in. And the reason for that is because God is giving it to them. And they're fully dependent on him. You see, Adam and Eve were fully dependent on God. That's the way he made them to be. But how, how are they dependent? Well, for one, their very existence, all right? In verse 7 and 22, you can see God separately create Adam and Eve. The only reason that they're there is because God created them. Their very existence was dependent on God. He gave them food. Verse 9 says that he made trees and all these things spring up that were good for food so that they could eat. And so God gave them food. He also gave them work. Verse 15 says that he put Adam in the garden to work it. He gave them companionship. Verse 18 says that the Lord, the Lord said, it's not good that man should be alone, so I'm going to get a helper fit for him. And so he's providing companionship, and he does that by providing family. We see that in verse 22 through 25. He's making Eve for Adam so that he can have a wife. He can have a friend. He can have a family. Perhaps most important. God is providing will and direction for their lives. He's saying, you know what? You can't do this, but you should do this. And so they know what they're supposed to do with their lives. And so you see that God has given them everything, but they're completely dependent on him. And it's good. It's a good thing. It's the way that he made it to be. Because you know what? Adam and Eve were dependent people. They had nothing. But God is a loving God who loves to give. God is the perfect giver. And so what more perfect a relationship than these two people who have absolutely nothing, can do nothing, they need help from someone, they need to be, they need to be, they need to depend on someone, and then you've got God who is giving. He is the giver. And so it's this beautiful relationship. That's what we see here in this passage is they were dependent, and it was good. But what we also see in this passage is they're not just dependent. Adam and Eve were weak, okay? And when we hear that, that's usually not a good thing for us. We hear, man, they're weak. That stinks. I don't want to be called weak. But for them, it was good. That's the way they were created to be. Now, I want you to picture it like this, just so you can wrap around your mind around this and see how weakness is good. Imagine I have a, a five-year-old daughter, and a she doesn't have a name. We haven't decided yet. So, but imagine I have this five-year-old daughter. She's going to be weak, right? She is depending on someone. She can't get food for herself. She can't work. She can't go out and make all of her clothes or something like that. That's just silly. She's weak, and she depends on someone strong, her daddy, who is going to provide for her in everything. No one's going to look at my daughter and say, Psh, such a weakling you have there. She can't get food for herself. What, she doesn't know how to hunt? 
She can't make her clothes. No, you aren't going to say that about a child. Weakness is good. And that's what God created Adam and Eve to be so they could be dependent. That's what he made us to be as children of God. We are to be like Adam and Eve. We're supposed to be weak. We're supposed to be dependent on our dad because that's the beauty of the relationship that he created everything to be in. And you know what? It was good, all right? Just to prove this, and I'm not just saying this. Verse 25 is an indication of this, all right? And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were totally weak. They were dependent. They were naked. They had absolutely nothing on their own. They had nothing on their own. But what does it say? They were not ashamed of that. They were not ashamed. They knew nothing but absolute joy and happiness in their relationship with God. None of that took away from their relationship with God. It was good. And this is how we were made to be as well. But obviously, if you look at our lives, that's not how our relationship with God usually looks, right? Something changed for us, and something changes for Adam and Eve as well. Look at verse, or chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And see, that serpent in the garden with Adam and Eve was Satan, all right? And they have an enemy in Satan, just like we have an enemy in Satan. And Satan loves to attack us. And this is what he did with Adam and Eve. And one of his favorite tactics is to point out our weakness. He likes to point out our weakness and say, man, there's something wrong with that. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He says, you're dependent on God? You're dependent on God? You're doing what he says you have to do? When you really could be doing whatever you want to do? And that's what he's telling them. He's saying, Dependence is not good. Why would you want to be dependent when you could be independent? You can be like God yourself and do everything on your own. And he persuades us with this by lies. You see here with Eve, he tries to make her question God's ways. He says to her, did God really say? Doesn't he do that to us too? Man, he gets us to think, does God really say? Is that what he really wants you to do? Is that really necessary? And so he tries to get us to question God. Not only that, he tries to persuade us to believe things that are not true. He tries to persuade us to believe in lies. He tells Eve, you will not surely die. When God has said just a few verses before, you will surely die, all right? But he's saying, you're not going to die. And don't we listen to that too? These lies of these things that we know is not true, but we persuade ourselves to think that they're true. So we're convinced that we should believe in these lies. We're convinced that we should question God because 
really, in the end, the question in the back of our minds, the reason we question, the reason we believe these lies, is we think that God is keeping us from some greater joy. We think that God, by giving us limitations, by making us depend on Him, is keeping us from some greater joy that we could be having by ourselves if we were independent. That's what Adam and Eve started to believe. They thought that there was something better than what God had for them. And that's what we believe too when we're believing these lies and we're trying to make ourselves independent is we're believing that there's some greater joy that can be attained on our own. When the truth is, Adam and Eve were living perfect lives. Everything that they could ever want, they had. And so it distorts what we think. And we give in to these lies. We believe them. And what happens? Look at verse 6. When we believe these lies. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam and Eve sinned in their hearts, and they rebelled against God. They said, you know what? I don't want to be dependent on you anymore. I want to be independent. I want to go my own way. I want to be God. And so what happens? What happens because of this? Well, you can see in the rest of this book, and you can see in the world around us, that what was once perfect became broken. It became broken. Sin and shame and guilt entered into the world because of this. And that's what we experience today. You can see that at the beginning of verse 7. One of the first signs of this brokenness says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So what's wrong with this? What's wrong with being naked? Because in chapter 2, verse 25, it said that they were both naked, but they were not ashamed. Nothing's changed here about the way they looked or anything like that. So what's what's the difference this time? The difference is they are ashamed of who they are. And why is that? The reason for that is because independence from God leads to shame about how weak and frail we truly are. I'm going to say that again. Independence from God leads to shame about how weak and frail we truly are. You know what? This weakness that was once good, remember my daughter, that weakness was a good thing. When she realized that she was dependent on that, that weakness was a good thing. But once you start to think that independence is good, we start to see that weakness as an ugly, hatred, hateful thing. We hate being weak when we are independent from God. And so what do we do? What do Adam and Eve do? Because they hate this weakness that they see in themselves. They hate this sin that is now in their lives. They hate this shame and this guilt that they're covered with because of what they are done. What do they do? It says at the end of verse 7, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So we get fig leaves, right? This is real, can't you tell? They take fig leaves and they try to cover themselves, which just looks silly. But you know what? 
They're so ashamed of their weakness. They're so ashamed of everything else that they try to hide themselves. Because you know what? They hate seeing themselves for what they truly are. They don't want other people to see them for what they truly are. They don't want God to see them for what they truly are as weak people who are now covered with guilt and shame because of the sin in our lives. And you know, we do the exact same thing. We may not take fig leaves, literally, and try to cover ourselves, but we try to hide ourselves. We try to hide our guilt. We try to hide our shame in so many different kind of ways. In the most popular way, it's like an unwritten rule, we all just do it, is we try to create this front. We try to create this image of ourselves that is good. We try to create this image of ourselves that we want people to see of us. And it's not really who we are, but it's who we want to be. It's who we want to be perceived as. And so how, how do we do this? We take all of our strengths, we take all of our accomplishes, our accomplishments, and we just tote them. We just put them at the forefront of everything. You know, when we meet someone, oh, hi, I'm, I'm Caleb, I've done this. Yes, I've done this, I've done this. And even as we get to know each other more, we just focus more and more on our accomplishments and the good things I've done. I got an A. I rode a pony. I got this job. I did all of these things. Look at me. Don't you want to be like me? I'm good. My life is good. Probably one of the most popular ways of doing this is Facebook, right? Facebook's just all good and dandy. Everybody sees the best parts of us. I ride a scooter while I drink coffee. I do all this. Look at me. I went on this awesome vacation with my family to the Bahamas. I got a job promotion. I did this. I like this music because it's cool. I did this. But it's funny how Facebook doesn't have a spot for the sins that you struggle with, the hardships that you go through, your weaknesses and how often you fail, the depression that you face with the things in life because you don't want people to see that. You want them to see this, the good and fuzzy stuff, this stuff you hide because you don't want to be seen as that. And this doesn't just take place online. This takes place in our daily lives. Like our churches, right? The church is just full of holy people, right? The church is full of people who don't sin. We may say that we're sinners, but we never talk about our sin because we don't want people to know that we are sinners. We'll say, oh, I'm a sinner, but well, what, do you, what do you struggle with? Really? We don't talk about that because we don't want people to see the real us because we know that we are weak and we don't want people to see that. And so we hide ourselves we put all this effort and all our energy and all our strength into hiding ourselves. We work on this every day, every week, every month, every year, keeping up this front, keeping people from seeing us who we actually are, putting on fig leaves all over the place so they don't see these weaknesses in ourselves because we can't let them see. And this is exhausting. This is exhausting. Always, always, always going, trying to make ourselves look strong when we're not because we're so terrified 
of what people will think if they actually see us who we really are. We are terrified of what people will think of us when they pull the fig leaves away and see the weakness. They see our sin. They see our guilt and our shame. And we think we're terrified that if they see that, they will hate us. All the while, they're struggling with the same things themselves. But we think that they will hate us because of this, because of our weakness. And so we try to hide. Or another thing that the world likes to do, all right, sometimes even the church, is instead of trying to hide it with fig leaves, is they take these shameful things and they celebrate them. And they try to make it look beautiful. They try to make it look glamorous, like it's okay, like drunkenness. Drunkenness is a shameful thing that leads to a lot of harm in people's lives. People are killed because of drunkenness. It leads to damage. But at every high school and every college, drunkenness is cool. It is what cool people do. It is glamorous there. Homosexuality. We try to make it beautiful. We try to make it celebrated. We dedicate months to pride in it. We have parades for it. We celebrate it. Abortion. We try to make it okay. We celebrate your right to do that. Nakedness. Pornography. Who is fighting against that anymore? It's at gas stations. It's on people's computers everywhere, and it is celebrated in movies, in music, in everything. And so we take these things, and we try to make them good and beautiful. But really, all that you're doing is you're just hiding more and more from God by doing these things. That's just another way of hiding. And we're convinced that we need to keep doing this. We're convinced. And all the while, while you're hiding yourself, you're putting fig leaves on yourself, you're doing all this, covering your shame and your guilt and your weakness, we are running from God. We are running further and further away from God. That's what Adam and Eve did. They hid themselves and they ran. And this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not the answer to our brokenness. This is not the answer to the shame that we feel. This is not the answer to our messed up view on weakness. So if that's not the answer, what is the answer? Look at verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? God is calling you like he did Adam and Eve. He knew that they were hiding. He knew that they had ran from them. And he's calling them out of hiding. Where are you? Come out of hiding. That's nice. And that's what he's saying to each of us today. Come out of your hiding. Because you know what? I want to give you something so much greater than just going deeper and deeper into guilt and shame. Deeper and deeper as you run away from me. I want to give you something better. So he tells us, you know what? You need to drop 
the fig leaves. Drop the fig leaves. Come out of hiding. Because the thing that he is going to give us that is so much greater is his grace. Okay? That is the answer to our weakness. That is the answer to our guilt and shame. And it is the one thing that we need. Hiding doesn't fix the problem. Only grace can. And I promise you, grace is so much better. It is infinitely better than hiding all the time, every day. Grace is the only thing that can help us take down this front that we are trying to make. God's grace is the only thing that can liberate us from our hiding and give us the freedom to show ourselves for who we really are. When we have God's grace, we can show ourselves for who we really are. People who are weak, people who struggle with sin, people who are ashamed of different parts of themselves. But you know what? Because we have grace, we can be honest, we can be truthful about that with people. I'm going to give six reasons that we see here why we can be honest about who we are. Even though we are weak, even though we are sinners, even though we have guilt, even though we have shame, there, is re- there are reasons that we can trust in God's grace instead of hiding ourselves. And they're infinitely better. We can tell people the truth. We can be honest. And the first reason for that is, you know what? Although we may be weak, although we may be sinners, although we have all this shame about ourselves, God graciously pursues us. In spite of that, God graciously pursues us. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm not dealing with you until you put down your fig leaves and you come out of hiding. That's not what he does. God goes into the garden after Adam and Eve, after all that they have done, and he goes to them and finds them and says, where are you? I am coming to you. He doesn't make them do the work. God is going to do the work for you. Because if we try to work, we just go into deeper guilt. We go into deeper shame. We try to cover ourselves with leaves. That's why we need God to come and get us. He will do the work for us. That's why we can say to people, man, I'm weak, but I have a God that is graciously pursuing me. Number two, even though we are weak, God graciously loves us. He loves us. And his pursuit of Adam and Eve, his pursuit of us, shows the infinite and gracious love that he has for us. He is going to love his children no matter what they do. You know, we can look at Adam and Eve and just be like, and they screwed up everything, didn't they? Look at all this garbage that happens. Look at my life. That's their fault. They broke everything. They just killed it. The worst of sinners, I think. Probably myself, but them. You know, that's what we think. But God, in spite of what they had done, loved them still. His love did not change for them. And his love does not change for us. Think of it this way. Imagine I get up tomorrow morning. I got up on the wrong side of the bed. And the little dumb dog is, is in our room, whatever. And I step on him, and he yelps, 
And I just get angry. I curse like a sailor and I kick him. And then I get up and then I go and I see my family. I see my friends and I'm just short with them. I'm angry. I don't want to talk. I don't want to do any of this. I struggle with sin all day. I'm horrible at work. I fall asleep while I'm substitute teaching. You know, then I get home. I just watch garbage. I do nothing. And then I just go to bed just upset and mad. It's the worst day. But then I get up the next day. I have a smile on my face. My dog is licking me with love. I enjoy it. I get up. I brush my teeth. I do everything. Then I get in the Word. I read the Bible. I pray for an hour. An hour. All right? Dang. Just feeling it. Then I go to work. I do well. The kids love me. I'm nice to my family and my friends. I go home and I watch Veggie Tales. All right? I read the Bible a little more and then I go to, go to bed with a smile on my face. You know what? God didn't love me anymore because of how good my day was the second day. God loved me just as much as he did the first day. And in spite of how bad I was the first day, God didn't love me any less because of that. God's love is infinitely amazing, and his love never changes for us. So even though we are weak, even though we struggle with all these things, we have a God who loves us no matter what. That's why we can be okay with our weakness. Another thing, God graciously disciplines us. We can be okay in our weakness because God graciously disciplines us. That doesn't sound fun, but it's really a good thing, okay? I promise. And you see that with, with him. He's going to discipline Adam and Eve here. He's going to give them discipline for it. But the thing with discipline, gracious discipline, is it's used to correct us. It's used to help us learn, and it's used to help us get closer to him. It's bringing us back into a dependence with God that we need. I just want you to imagine this. Remember my daughter? She's so cute, you know? Imagine I live in a house that's next to a highway, and there's cars just speeding back and forth all day long. And I tell my lovely daughter, daughter, you can't go over by that road, okay? You cannot go by the highway, because if you do, you are going to get hurt. You will die. I don't want that. Therefore, you can't do that. Okay. So, what if I'm looking out the window one day and I see my daughter playing by the highway? What am I going to do? Just let her go? No. That's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to yell. I'm going to run. I'm going to go out the door. I'm going to continue to yell. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to grab her. I'm going to carry her back to the house. I'm going to be like, what were you doing? I'm going to discipline her. She's probably going to get spanking, all right? That was a no-no. But you know what? In the end, she's going to be alive. She's probably going to need some counseling, but she's going to be alive, all right? And you know, that's what discipline is. If we don't discipline, they won't learn. Someday she will learn not to play next to the highway. And she's going to know that the reason that I discipline her is because I love her and I want her to learn. 
and I want her to know that I love her, and I want her to know that she can depend on me. That's what I'm there for. That is why, you know what? We're weak, but we have a God who lovingly and graciously disciplines us. It's a great thing. Another thing, even though we're weak, even though we have guilt, even though we have shame, God has graciously given us a promise of hope. God has graciously given us a promise of hope. And we see this promise of hope for Adam and Eve in verse 15. God's talking to Satan here. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this may not mean much to you, but this in the Bible is one of the first signs, one of the first promises that God makes that someone is going to come. He is going to send someone who is going to destroy Satan, who is going to destroy sin, who is going to destroy all your guilt and shame forever. It's going to be gone. So we can say, you know what? Even though I'm weak, even though I'm struggling right now, I know one day God says, I am going to be free from it forever. That is why we can be okay in our weakness now, because one day it is going to be gone forever. Number five, we can be okay in our weakness because God has graciously sacrificed for us and he has clothed us. God has graciously sacrificed for us and he has clothed us. And we see in verse 21, after everything that has happened for Adam and Eve, after all that they have been through this sin, this God pursuing them and showing his love and all this, this discipline, we see that God is making a sacrifice for them. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. And you know what? In the garden there had never been any deaths before, but God saw their need. God saw they were trying to clothe themselves with these stupid fig leaves, and he's like, man, I can give you so much better. But there's going to be sacrifice to do it. So these animals who were in the garden, he had to sacrifice some of these animals. But he did it because he loved them and he was going to clothe them and give them an, a covering that they really needed. And this is just foreshadowing for what he is going to do for us and what he has done for us. See, God is going to make a sacrifice. He made a sacrifice and he has given us clothes. He is going to clothe us we see how he does this in John 1.17. Grace came through Jesus. The grace that God wants to give us is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus died for us on a cross, okay? That is the sacrifice that he paid. Ephesians 5.1 says, God loved us and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice. He willingly went to that cross for us because you know what? He saw our fig leaves. He saw the guilt that we had in our lives. He saw the shame that we had because of our weaknesses. And he took those to the cross. He removed those from us. He said, 
I'm taking these. I'm putting them on myself. I'm going to the cross, and I'm paying the price for your sin. So you don't have to. You don't have these anymore. And so he took them away from us, and he died on a cross, and he poured out his blood. And blood's kind of a weird thing, but in the Bible, it is a beautiful thing. Jesus' blood is a beautiful thing. Hebrews 9.22 says that we have been purified by Jesus' blood. You know, he took away our guilt and shame. He took away our fig leaves, but he's purified us. He's cleansed us. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So not only is he taking this stuff from us through his sacrifice, he's cleaning us. He's making us clean. He is redeeming us. And maybe the best part of all, Galatians 3.27 says, For all of you who are baptized into Christ, you have been clothed. You have clothed yourself in Christ. That means for those of us that give up our fig leaves, that give up everything else, we let God take them. We let him pay the price for us. We let him cleanse us and redeem us. You know what's going to happen? Just like God provided them with garments in the garden, God is giving us Jesus Christ, and we are clothing ourselves with Jesus himself. How much better is that than fig leaves? I'll take Jesus over fig leaves any day. And so you know what? In all this, we can say, you know what? Even though I'm weak, even though I've done all of these things, I may be a sinner, but Jesus has given everything for me. Jesus has given everything, and my righteousness and my life is in him, and I am clothed in him. We have everything that we could ever want because we are clothed in him because of his sacrifice. And lastly, we don't have to be ashamed of our weakness. We can be honest about our weakness because in spite of all of that, God is graciously our strength. Even though we are weak, God is our strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this. This is Paul speaking. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I I am strong. That's true for us today too. You know what? When we are content in our weakness, when we are okay with our weakness, when we get back to that place like Paul, who is okay being this little girl who is weak and who is dependent on God, when we come back to that place and we know that it is not a bad thing, it is a beautiful, good thing that God has created for us. That is when we are going to experience the strength of Christ in our lives. And you know what? You're going to experience rest when you do that. 
when you're content in your weakness and you're just trusting in the strength of Christ, you're going to rest. Because remember how exhausted we are? Just building up this image for ourselves? You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to look strong for people. You can be weak, but you can say, you know what, I'm weak, but I've got Christ in me who is strong, and he is working in my life, and he is loving me, and he is doing all of these things. I don't have to do it. That's the beautiful thing. We don't have to do the work because Christ will do the work for us. He is our strength, and he is going to provide for us. He is going to do everything that we need. And when we start resting in him, you are going to start seeing the joy in your life that you are working for, that you are trying to work for, for, but you can't find. When you are resting in your weakness in Christ, you are going to find all the joy that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden because they were dependent on him. You are going to see real and lasting joy in your life. And not only that, man, we're going to see Christ work in our hearts. And these things that we were once ashamed of, these things that we were guilty of, that we were trying to cover, you're going to start seeing when you're resting in Christ, when you're resting in your weakness, God is going to work on those things. And you're going to start to see those things slowly go because he is sanctifying us. He is conforming us to his image daily when we rest in him. And so you know what we can say? I may be weak, but because Christ is working in me, I can be strong. True joy comes in our weakness. True joy comes in our dependence on God. It is what God is calling us to. So, today, when you leave, are you going to keep hiding yourselves in fig leaves? Are you going to choose fig leaves? Are you going to choose grace from Jesus Christ? The choice is yours. You can only go one way. But know that God's grace is infinitely better than this. Let's pray. Yeah.